Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. So today we want to talk, we're starting this series uh, on Christology. Everybody say Christology. Okay, that's a, that's a technical term. We're studying about Christ, about Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we're, we're going to, uh, as we do that, we want to build on the fact that we just talked about God, the doctrine of God, and the Trinity, and all the, some of the nature of God. And we want to just before, uh, you know, as we go into this, remember that when we talk about Christ, everything that's true about the Trinity is true about Christ. So everything that we studied in the last uh, four weeks is also true as we talk about Christ. And uh, <clears throat> just so, just keep that in mind. Give me one second. To... <clears throat> no, Frog's still there. <clears throat> he's swimming, but he's not going too quickly. Hey. <laughs> Uh, so we want to take, we've got a theme verse for our series. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Here in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul summarizes everything about Christology summarizes the whole story of Christ here on earth. And uh, it's interesting, the, the word that he uses here, the mystery, he says mystery, that uh, it, we need to keep in mind that this is mysterious. And as we talk about this, there is mystery here. And we want to, uh, we don't want to uh, uh, expose the mystery as much as we want to celebrate the mystery of God. We don't want to just simply say, oh, this is how it all works. Let's reduce it to a formula. Let's understand that this God that created us, this Christ that came to save us, has, is, there's a mystery that's un, un, uh, un, understandable. And uh, the, um, Michael Robertson, he says this about this, this word, this mystery. It says it's this. The, the term refers to a secret revealed by God. It's a mystery, but it's a... It's a secret, it's a, it's a deep truth that God wants to reveal to you today through experience, not just teaching, through experience and through relationship, that God wants to reveal Christ to you today through those things. So let's just pause and pray before we get into the, the meat of the message this morning. Father, I thank you that you are the God who reveals. You said, be still and know that I am God. And Lord, you want us to know you we, you want us to know you as you know us. So, God, that we can understand the mysteries of your love for us, the mysteries of how you worked on our behalf, and the mysteries of your creation and working in us and salvation. And so, Father, today, I ask that you would just release the Holy Spirit among us to teach us, to reveal to us truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody said amen. All right. In all locations, you said amen, too? There we go. Got it. All right. Hey, let's look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to use this as our text today. Today we're talking about a specific topic within the, the, uh, the theme of Christology. We're talking about the incarnation. The incarnation. Not the reincarnation. The incarnation. Okay, don't get those wrong. 
Because if you get them wrong, you're in the wrong place. All right? We're, we're not talking reincarnation. We're talking incarnation. God made flesh the incarnation. <clears throat> so here's what um, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, 4 to 5. It says, when the set time had fully come, this is New International Version, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might be, we might receive adoption to sonship. So here Paul is just, as we start in this, Paul is saying Christ came for a reason. Okay, God came to earth as a man for a reason, not because he had nothing better to do and he wanted to play games. Uh, in the ancient world, a lot of the, <clears throat> in the ancient world, a lot of the um, uh, gods of those days would come down to earth, but not to help people, but often to trick people, to play jokes on people. And here Paul is declaring through the Galatians, to the Galatians, he's saying, God came here on purpose. He didn't come here to entertain himself. He came here for a purpose. In the uh, Lexham Bible Dictionary, we're going to put this definition up. It's also in your notes if you're taking them on the app. Here, here's how incarnation is described. It's the doctrine expressed in the Nicene Creed, and we'll look at that in a moment, and the definition of Chalcedon, that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all the ages and of one substance with the Father, was made flesh through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, making him truly God, and truly human, possessing two natures which are not confused, changed, divided, or separated. <clears throat> God sent the Trinity, sent Jesus, sent Christ, God the Son, to earth as the ultimate revelation of himself. I don't know uh, how many of you still make phone calls. Anybody in the room still make phone calls? Four people, five, okay. Uh, after you've texted appropriately ahead of time, correct? Um, there, there's, there's a difference in, in what you learn and what you understand between a phone call and an in-person meeting. Uh, when you talk on the phone, you get a good message, you understand stuff, you get information, but when you're in person, there's a, a Paul talks about it, this impartation, there's something more of the spirit of the person that comes to you. And so, God sent to us a phone call, if you will, a, a revelation of himself in the Bible. But when God really wanted you to know the spirit of him, when he really wanted us to know who he was, he sent his own son. So the first thing we want to understand about the incarnation is this is God revealing himself to us. Jesus said that he said, when you see me, you see the Father. Whatever I do is what the Father does. And so God sent Jesus, Trinity sent God the Son to earth so that we would know who God was. So that with our, with our understanding, we could say, hey, this is who God is. This is the one. And so Jesus spent a lot of his ministry on earth talking about how I am just like the Father. And I'm trying to show you the Father. And I'm trying to reveal the Father to you. And I want you to see the Father. If you get nothing else, I want you to see the Father out of this. And so the revelation of God, the incarnation, is God's ultimate revelation of himself to us. Michael Bird says this. He said, there's something extra, extra special about the incarnation. 
The incarnation is a revelation that possesses a superlative directness, quality, and divine presence that far surpasses the revelation within nature or Scripture. See, we can know God through nature. We can know God through Scripture. But we can never know God through nature and Scripture the way we know God through His Son. And so God the Son came and became human, incarnated, so that we could begin to understand God in a way we could never uh, before. I mentioned uh, a few moments ago the Nicene Creed. And when, I first, when we first started the series on, uh, on uh, the doctrine of God, God unveiled, uh, I shared with you the Nicene Creed. But this is a, I want to bring a little portion of that back to us today as we talk about the incarnation, as we talk about God revealed through his son. Part of what the Nicene Creed says is this, and, and how many of you have heard of the Nicene Creed other than when I said it? Yeah, it's not something we use a lot in, uh, in our circles, but the Nicene Creed, if you think about this this way, this was the statement of faith of some of the earlier church. Nicene Creed was established in 325 AD, around that time. And so very early on, from uh, well, while they were still kind of hearing the stories first and second hand from the apostles, they said, this is what we believe. So if you were being baptized, you might confess the Nicene Creed and say, this is what I believe. Uh, we, we have statement of faith on our, on our uh, 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 website, but uh, the Nicene Creed is, is what we would hold to. Uh, Orthodox Christianity, uh, where there's no heresy, is bound by the Nicene Creed. So the Nicene Creed... Why we go back to that? And I know as Pentecostals and you know casual non-liturgical churches, we don't we don't think about that stuff. Uh, but they're important. So here's here's what the Nicene Creed says about Jesus. It says we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Of one being with the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff we're going to unpack in that over the next few weeks, but I want to just hit on uh, four uh, big ideas that we'll try to unpack, unpackage a little bit more during the next few weeks. So the first thing I want, us, I want you to get is that, the first thing is that, Jesus, as he was incarnate, pre-existed as God. Say, so, well, why does that matter? Who cares? Does it matter that, that Jesus was God before he became man? Well, actually, yeah, it does. So uh, how the Nicene Creed describes it, it says he was eternally begotten of the Father. That means he had no beginning, but... Here, here, we're going to get a little trippy for a second here. You all right with a little trippy? Trent, you're okay with a little trippy? You're good? All right. <laughs> so, so here, God who has always existed, this is, this is a, a theological understanding, is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus uh, came from the Father, but they always existed. There's not a hierarchy in the Trinity. They're co-equal but yet we understand that, that everything kind of centers around the Father. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus was not created. 
He pre-existed. Before Jesus came to earth, he already existed as God. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, this is the English Standard Version, and you can follow along either in your app or on, on the uh, screen. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, so he was already God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't count equality with God. What's, he's talking about the Trinity here. Equality, they're all equal. Even though he was God, didn't count that equality as something that he needed to you know, uh, demonstrate or, or throw it there for everybody to see or make a big deal of it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at this one too. Colossians chapter 1 says, the Son is the, uh, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that cool? The Son is the image. When we see Jesus, we see God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus comes to earth, and, and we read the scriptures in the Gospels. We read this, and we go, that's God. That's what God does. That's the thing. That's how God behaves. That's how God loves us. That's what God does. Because Jesus is the image of that. And he says, the firstborn over all creation. I, I love the language of Colossians. The firstborn over all creation. Want to hear something a little trippy? Again. A little trippy. Is that Adam was modeled after Jesus, not Jesus modeled after Adam. Think about that for a second. Adam was modeled after Jesus. Adam was supposed to look like Jesus, and, and, and we kept messing that up. And Jesus said, you're not going to come here. I'm going to show you who I am again. Here, here, here's, here's, here's what my image looks like. Here, here's, here's who I am. And so God is, uh, it's important that we understand this, that, that Jesus pre-existed, pre-existed. And, and let me say a little bit more why that matters is because there's a, some things in our world, some other religions that would say, hey, this is um, not the way it is. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus pre-existed. Say, so, well, you know, aren't Jehovah's Witnesses Christians? Actually, they're not. They don't believe that Jesus pre-existed. He was created. Well, if Jesus was created, they actually think he uh, may have been created as Michael the archangel and then came to earth. Uh, Jesus was not created. He is the creator. And if we're serving somebody who we think is created, what makes them different than us? Right? Mormons uh, also don't believe in uh, um, uh, Jesus as the Son of God in the same sense. They believe he was a created spirit being who then came to earth. Jesus exists. I'm just going to repeat this. Jesus existed as God before he shows up in the, in the New Testament. God the Son always existed with God the Father and the Trinity and the, God the Holy Spirit together before being incarnated into a human body and earth. Is that all right? Make sense? Okay. Uh, so here, here's, here's something else. The Muslims, Muslims believe that Jesus was just a man and a prophet. They think he's pretty important, 
He's just a guy. He's a guy. But Jesus was God before he came to earth. I, uh, I, I, I love this part about the incarnation and God's pre, uh, Jesus' preexistence is um, because the incarnation was always the plan, not a contingency plan. Sometimes we go, we read it, well, you know what? Because sin happened, Jesus had to come. Actually, the Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, the lamb had already been slaughtered. God, you know, when we say, well, you know, sin happened, so Jesus had to change the plan. What kind of God is that? Who didn't know what was going to happen next. No, God, right from the beginning, the, the incarnation was always the plan. In fact, if you, if you go into, uh, it won't be on the screen, but if you go to this uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, first three verses of chapter, Genesis chapter 12, it's an interesting thing. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Right? How many of you have heard that one before? You've heard that one before? Uh, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you, I will curse you. And in you, he doesn't say in your family. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right from that moment, God was speaking to Abraham and saying, hey, there's somebody coming as a descendant of you, yours, that's going to bless the whole world. Talking about Jesus right back from there. Right from the very beginning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, 9 says, and, and let me just emphasize this again, that the reason I'm emphasizing this pre-existence is because it's important for us to understand that Christ is first and foremost God who became man, not man who became God. Because it matters. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Second thing we're going to say about the incarnation is going to say that um, Christ was Messiah. Christ was Messiah. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So let's, how many of you have heard the term Messiah before? Most of us have. But let's, let's just take a moment to, to define it. So Messiah is really the Hebrew word or the Old Testament word for the anointed one. And, and uh, in the New Testament, the, the equivalent is Christos or Christ. So when we see Messiah or we see the word Christ, that's the same, same word and the same meaning. What's intended in that is, um, as um, the uh, Bible Standard Handbook says, it says the anointing, it's the anointed one, so it's the anointing of any individual in connection with the offices of prophet, priest, king, and it signified two things. One, God's appointment and identification of that person with a sphere of service to be performed for God and human beings. So the term Messiah then, it points to one who was appointed by God to serve him and humanity. So throughout the Old Testament, there's all these prophetic statements that push forward to there's somebody coming who's, going, who's appointed by God going to serve God, going to bless humanity. That first one I read in Genesis is one of those where it points towards somebody who's going to come. Those are called messianic prophecies. And the Old Testament is full of that. And by the time Jesus came along, um, the people understood that the Messiah was there to bring the kingdom of God. The problem was is that they, they didn't quite get the whole picture. 
And that's why they had a problem with Jesus, because when they thought the kingdom of God, they immediately thought politics. And there's this section of the Bible, well, section of the Bible, there's, there's this time frame between the Old Testament and the New Testament that we don't often read, but it, it covers this whole spectrum of political activity by the Israelites. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, they were expecting not just a uh, savior to save them from death, but they were expecting a savior to politically save them. So what's interesting about then is that Jesus never calls himself a Messiah. You read the whole New Testament and all of, uh, of, of the four Gospels, and Jesus never calls himself a Messiah. See, there were other people during Jesus' time that called themselves Messiahs. They said they're Messiahs, and they were always the head of a revolt. And so if Jesus had said... You, if, Incidentally, if you ever wonder why Jesus constantly said, don't tell anybody about me, it's because he didn't want people to get the idea he was the different kind of Messiah than he really was. He wanted to make sure people understood that he came with a different kind of kingdom. He didn't want to get associated with some of the expectations that many of the Jews in the first century had of the Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah that would be a political ruler. So Jesus' incarnation then, we understand it, is a fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. So if you look at the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus, and the Old Testament makes sense through the lens of Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. Don't throw the Old Testament out. Okay? It's not a matter of, oh, now Jesus came. We don't need the Old Testament. Actually, the Old Testament talks about Jesus a lot. And when we keep looking back to that, it makes us understand what God was trying to show us. Jesus came as the Messiah. Third thing about the incarnation is um, Jesus became, or Christ became, human. Seems kind of like a, a truism. Huh? Seems like, yeah, we know that. Right? We, we, we know that. John chapter 1, uh, first 14 verses, but we'll just read a little bit of it. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. <clears throat> and then it goes saying, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was not in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That sounds like Jesus. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Son became a human being. And again, we're just kind of hitting on some highlights today. He became a human being. He didn't just appear to be a human being. Gods of those days would show up and pretend to be human to trick people. This is, uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but the fact that he became human is important. Because God becoming human demonstrates a number of things. First of all, it demonstrates the uniqueness of humanity. 
He could have come as a cow. I mean, legit. Could have come as a palm tree. I mean, he got him, right? He could have come. He'd get to earth. He could have just shown up as a meteorite. Like all those things. But God chose to be incarnated as a human being because human beings are unique. And that uniqueness is important. We, I, I was, this was a few, couple years ago. I was listening to a, a news article about a uh, case going on in, I think it was New York City. They were, trying, they were arguing for the personhood of chimpanzees. Right? That, that, that chimpanzees should be treated like humans. Now, we, we want humane treatment of creation. But we have to do that recognizing that humanity is unique. This is not just an a, a evolution of creation. However it came about, this is a species that God has said is unique and put his hand on us. And so he comes as a human being. The second thing that it, it, uh, it says, it, it, it gives the value of humanity. If God came as a human, it means that humans are important. Means he thinks we're important. He, he thinks that humanity is important. So he came to identify with us because of the value on it. The third thing that God coming in the flesh and becoming a man is the value of humility. Value of humility. God restricted himself in a human body. What, what's that kind of talk about? Humbled himself. Talk about that in a second, a little bit more, but. Humble himself, the value of humility. The, the, and, and the fourth thing is that, I think we've got to get this, is that God came in a human body because human bodies are important. Right? I talked about it uh, in the last series. It's about how uh, there's this growing trend of saying he's spirit or what we feel or what we think. Our inside's more important than our outside. God came in a human body to make a declaration of the fact that who we are physically is important. And, and it matters, all right? So it was incarnate through a miracle. The Holy Spirit, Virgin Mary, became truly, truly human. Okay, and the fourth thing, and I'm trying to get through all these highlights as quick as I can without putting you to sleep. Philippians chapter 2, 6 to 8. We read it already, but I'm going to look at it again in the New uh, American Standard Version. It says this, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I, I, I want to just key in this one word in here, but he emptied himself. But he emptied himself. The, the Greek word in here is this word kenosis, and so sometimes theologians use the word kenosis when they want to talk about what, what actually happened, because this, this, is a, this is kind of a difficult thing to kind of grasp. Did God empty himself? What, what does that mean, that he emptied himself in order to become a servant? Is that like he was less than God when he was here on earth? Because that's how we could read that. Did he become less than himself did he become less than God? So actually, when Jesus was walking around, he wasn't God. He was just a human being because he reduced himself to being a human being. And I want to say that from a biblical perspective, that is not true. 
while Jesus walked around, he was just 100% God and 100% human. And so the way we understand this, so this passage, that here's this, Jesus already possessed equality with God, but he refused to use that in a, in a, in a way to uh, uh, self-aggrandizing uh, uh, way, like not, not puffing himself up. So even on the cross, if you're God, what did they say? If you're God... You could call down all these angels. She said, I'm not, I, I, I'm not here simply as a representative of God. I'm here as a representative of humanity. And, and I'm not going to be tricked into puffing up my God divinity in order to satisfy your curiosity. And so he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He's not doing that. And so... He, he, although he is by very nature God, he doesn't restrict himself, but the emptying occurs. This is how Michael Bird says. says the, emptying, the emptying occurred not by what the son left behind, but by through what he took on. Okay, so think about this. What he did, he took on humanity. He took on humanity in humiliation. So he didn't, he didn't give up being God, but he took on and emptied himself into, into that kind of thing. So the incar incarnation is the acquisition of human properties by the Son, not the emptying or divesting of divine properties. Does that make sense? I, I, I realize that, again, where some of this seems a little technical, that's why we want you to talk about it in midweek groups. Uh, say, how, what does that mean? So there's, there's this, that, so let, let me give you a practical illustration we, we do not, as human beings representing God, we do not become poor to help the poor. But we take on the suffering of the poor in order to help the poor. Jesus did not become human to become, to help us, but he took on humanity in order to help us. What he became. If the mystery of Jesus, here's what... Uh, Here's a theologian I'm quoting Jürgen, uh, Jürgen Mollmann, German theologian. He says this, If the mystery of Jesus is the eternal presence of God among men, then the salvation of the world is also to be found in him. God became man so that men could partake of God. He took on, he took on the transitory mortal being for that which is transitory and mortal to become intransitory and immortal. God became human so we could become like God. God came in the flesh, say, this is who I am, so that we could become like him. Everything that Jesus did, as he walked around there, he did to show us how to be like him. Does that make sense? I know it's a bunch of stuff. I, I, know, it's, I know it's a whole bunch. And uh, we do want to uh, encourage you to work some of this through and say, well, it's pretty technical. Yeah, I get that. Um, but as we walk through this, work this out, wrestle this out together, it'll help us. See, God the Son became human. He became like us so that we could be like Him. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.